gracious God, thank you so much for your church, for your body, that we can gather together. And as we gather, Lord, in this place that you have invited us to worship you, we actually can behold you. We can actually see your manifest presence among us, among your people at work. And so, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, as we read the word of God, would you open our ears and our, our eyes and our hearts, Lord, to receive what it is that you are speaking to us. Because, Lord, I believe that every time we open Scripture, you are speaking. And every time you are speaking, you are speaking something that we can hear in order for our own transformation, for our own spiritual formation to be, become more like those that you have called us to become. And so, Lord, I pray that in the hearing of your word this morning that you would make much of yourself and very little of me. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible with you, if you want to grab a pew Bible or open up an app on your phone, you can go ahead and open to Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to be starting in verse 1 today. And so if you have any of those uh, ways to access Scripture, go ahead and open to Revelation chapter 3. But if you've been with us or if you're new, we've been walking through the book of Revelation. We've been taking it little by little, chunk by chunk, particularly because in the first three chapters, we have all these letters written to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And we have come to the conclusion that, yes, though they are letters specifically written to a church in those cities— because there are seven, it is actually indicative of the entire complete church through all time and all history. And therefore, there is something that we, as the modern day church, can glean from what was written back then. What's more is we've read in chapter 1 of Revelation that it is blessed to read and hear the entirety of this prophecy. And so as we work through it, we're going to read the entire book of Revelation, and we will be blessed because of its reading and its hearing. But this morning, let us read and hear from Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, This is what he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few names in Sardis who have not defiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. And I will never erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right. So as we 
start in this letter, this is one of the first letters that we read, and there's no, like, thanksgiving. There's no, like, here's what you're doing right. Jesus just gets straight to the point. You have this name among you, but you are actually not what they say. What does he say specifically? It says, and I'm not going to cover the seven spirits and the seven stars because we've already talked about that. We've talked about how the seven spirits is actually the one Holy Spirit in his fullness and his completion. And the seven stars are the seven messengers that are going to the churches. And so what Jesus is, he's the one that comes with the fullness of the Spirit of God to his churches and has the messengers, the complete message that these churches need to hear. And so he knows your deeds. I know your deeds, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. You know, it's not hard to see how easy it can be to be called one thing, but to actually be something else. I think it's actually really, really easy for us in our lives to put on a facade that we are one thing to many people, but behind the scenes, we're somebody completely different. We can see how an entire church can become known as one who is alive, but in fact are dead. It's not different for me in my own personal life. I mean, I am the pastor of this church, and yet I think that there is this air that I can put across maybe sometimes that as a pastor, as a leader, that I I know what I'm doing, that maybe I have this sense of knowing what I'm doing in leading the church. But the reality and the truth is I go home at night and I'm like, I have no idea what I just did. And I have no idea what I'm going to do tomorrow. And I don't even know what I'm going to preach on Sunday, but God help me. Because I hope your spirit comes with a message in my mouth because I don't have it. (coughs) It can be very easy to look like something on the outside to everybody. But when you get inside and you start uncovering and looking at things, you start to realize you're not what you're putting out there. And so Jesus, to his church in Sardis, and to his churches Around the globe, today, to our church, he's saying, I know your deeds. First and foremost, let's just start there. I know your deeds. There is nothing that Jesus is not aware of when it comes to us and when it comes to our churches. He knows our deeds. He knows the things that we do. Just with that in mind, take that for a second and think, "Uh uh-oh, does Jesus know the deeds of my heart, but more, does he know the deeds of my church? And if he does, would he be proud of who we are? Would Jesus be proud of the deeds that are known to First Press? And I'm not going to qualify that with an answer. You just think about that and ruminate on that, because I have my own feeling in my heart, maybe where we have been, but who we are today is not who we were. But I want to go to the next line. You have this name that you are alive, but you are in fact dead. You are, you have the name that you are alive, but you are 
dead. I want to go a little bit into Sardis, this city that where this church is found. And I've given you a little background in every city that we've met so far, and Sardis is no different. It's about 30 miles southeast, further from Thyatira, which we talked about last week. Sardis was this city. It's actually the oldest of all the cities that we're talking about. So it's got the most renown, the most reputation. It is a city known for its Acropolis and also its Necropolis. And a Necropolis is a, essentially a cemetery, a place for the dead. In fact, there is a name for Sardis. It is the, the Cemetery of a Thousand Hills. And the Acropolis found in Sardis is big and set up on a hill that everyone can see it. But also what should be known about Sardis is that this is a city that has been taken over twice due to the people of the city not being watchful over it. They failed to watch about the thing that was coming against them, the armies that were coming against them, and the city fell. But also, again, it is also has this massive necropolis, this, the cemetery of a thousand hills. So what is Sardis known for? Death. But it looks alive because it's beautiful. It's set up on a hill. It looks wonderful from, from afar. You look at this city and you can see it. And you can see its magnificence and its beauty. But when you get into town, you realize that what you are looking at are tombs. And so Jesus is saying, you have this name that you are alive Everyone sees your beauty, but they get to you and they find out you're dead. In fact, Sardis being the oldest, it was a city that relied on its reputation. They relied on their renown. They relied on what they were once known for instead of what they were doing then. And so Sardis was a dying city, literally, because they didn't ever change. They didn't ever go after something new. They decided to settle. Well, our reputation as a wonderful city will push us into the future. But Jesus is now saying to the church, you can't live on your reputation. You have this reputation of being alive. People have seen your deeds in the past, and I know your deeds and your deeds in the past, but I also know your deeds now, and you're not living the way that I am calling you to. You are no longer a church that is alive. You're dead. You thought that your past could make up for your present and lead you into the future. But the church has to constantly be moving where the Spirit of the Lord leads. And the Spirit does not stay stagnant. 
The Spirit is like a wind constantly blowing whichever way He might go. The church has to be prepared to follow. And so, He says, you are thought to be alive, but you are, in fact, dead. It reminds me of Romans chapter 6, verse 10 through 14. This is, the, I think, the warning that comes to us individually as we participate in these churches. For death, that he died, speaking about Jesus, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. What I really think that Paul is getting to in this letter to the Romans and the same thing that Jesus is trying to get the church in Sardis to understand is that you, in God, in Jesus Christ, we're supposed to be alive. We're supposed to be full of life, not not dead on the inside, but joyful, comforted, at peace. I just start thinking about all the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are the fruit of living people, of people alive in Christ Jesus. Dead people don't pursue love, don't live joyfully, never experience the peace of God. Don't have patience with others. Don't know what it means to be kind or gentle. Have no self-control in their life. And their faith is waning and waning and waning. The church lives by the same fruit of the Spirit. Is our church known for its love, its joy, its peace, its patience, its kindness, its goodness, its gentleness, its faithfulness, its self-control? Or are we known about once having those things, but don't anymore? That's the danger at play here. That's the danger that Jesus is saying that could be present within churches. Is that we could look alive and be known for being alive because everyone remembers at one time we were. But when you start doing the autopsy, you realize it is in fact a dead church. I said I wasn't going to give my answer. I'm going to give my answer. I believe we are a church that is being resuscitated to new life. And it is a good thing, church. It is a joyful thing to see what the Lord is doing in us and among us. I am glad to say that we are not the church in Sardis now. But maybe we were a year ago. But here's what Jesus is saying. He says in verse 2, wake up. Wake up. This could also be translated as be watchful. 
Be aware. Be seeing. Have your eyes open. Be noticing the things that are happening. Wake up. I already told you Sardis fell twice. Why? Because they weren't watching. Nobody was on guard when the city got overtaken. And so Jesus is saying the same things to his church. Be watchful. Wake up. Notice the things that you need to notice as a church. Notice where love isn't as present as it should be. Notice where joy isn't as lively as it should be. Notice where you're not being patient with one another like you should be. Notice when you're not being gentle, but you're full of harsh words and harsh character and harsh demeanor. Notice that. Wake up. We have come so far. We are a church who is waking up. We are. We, we are being awoken from our slumber. I remember the words again. This is Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I don't want people to look from afar and see the thousand hills and say that's a cemetery. I want people to look and see the light that is on the hill and say Jesus shines on them. They awoke from their slumber. They arose from the dead and Christ shines on us. I want us to be known for being the Jesus church in Griffin. When people think of First Pres, they don't think, well, they once had. Or when I visit somebody in town, they're like, I once went there. I keep hearing, we've sent out a lot of missionaries. That's great. Why did we send them in the first place? But who are we now that people want to join us in what Jesus is doing in our church? When people look at First Pres, they say, Jesus shines on them. And I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of what Jesus is doing at First Pres because they have Jesus. They, they listen to him. And, they say, and when Jesus said, you're dead, but be alive, wake up. And then he says, strengthen the things that remain, which are about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Also in Ephesians chapter 2, it says that we were created, we were his workmanship, created for good works that he predestined for us. There is a work for us to do. He has given us a work to do. Let us be strengthened in the gospel. I think that's really what he's talking about. It's a strength that is found in the gospel of God. That we're allowing the gospel to shape us and transform us as a church in order to go after the very works that he wants us to go after. Romans 16, 25 says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past, but is now manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the Gentiles, leading to obedience of faith. 
To the only wise God through Jesus Christ be glory forever. Amen. What remains is that the gospel does not leave the church of God. The gospel always has a root somewhere in the church. And so the things that remain, we should be strengthened in. The gospel truth for us that Jesus is at work and that he did a work on the cross that forgave us of our sins, that we were undeserving and there is no way we could earn righteousness from God. So Jesus came and paid the price for us that we might have life when we were dead in our sin. And being raised to life with him in his resurrection, we now get to participate as citizens in the kingdom of God. Sardis, you are alive known for being alive, but you're dead. Wake up. Be strengthened with what remains, that that gospel truth would swell up within you. Verse 3, so remember what you have received and heard and keep it. Hold fast to the gospel truth. And I love this. It says it in every single letter. And repent. We have to ask for the forgiveness for failing to remember the truth, for trying to live on our laurels instead of what he has called us to actually do in the present. Let us not just say, well, we once did this, weren't we great? Let us say, we are doing this. Look how great God is. Because again, this isn't about us making us great. It's about shining Jesus forth. And what happens for those that don't wake up? I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of churches that had their doors open on Sunday, and they shuttered them on Monday. They just woke up that day and realized we can't even turn the lights on. And it's more frequent than you think in an age of secularism. In an age where the church is seemingly on decline, but I'm telling you what, the church isn't declining. If anything, we're just weeding out those that woke up and those that haven't. But let us not be caught as a church, like a thief in the night, where we have to wake up one day and say, it's over. It's over. Because he will come like a thief in the night to those who do not wake up, who do not become alive. But you have a few names in Sardis who have not defiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. The white garment is a symbol in Roman times, particularly of victory. Of those that have conquered, of of the victorious. When you win in in any sort of games, you're given a white robe. So it's about victory in one sense. But I really do believe that the truth is it's about justification. The justified in Christ are clothed in white. 
not because the justified did anything to earn their justification. I want us to make that clear. There's nothing we can do to earn the white garment. So when Jesus starts talking about the garment aspect in this passage, he's not saying your deeds are the reason that you're not getting the white garment. It's not their deeds that preclude them from the white garment, from justification. It's Jesus. He says, those that walk with me are in white. Follow me. Walk with me. Know me that I know you. We've talked about it so many times in this church before. This idea of love, trust, obey. Jesus loves you. Love him. Trust in him. Walk with him. Obey him. You see, the people that actually walk in the deeds that have been laid out are those that are actually clothed in white. It's not those that are not clothed in white. Those that have not been clothed in white will never do the deeds that bring them life. They will only ever be dead. And the church in Sardis, I want to make clear, it's not that they were ever alive when Jesus wrote this letter to them. It's that they were always dead, but given the perception of being alive. For the Christian, for the follower of Jesus, for the one that walks with him, we are justified in him because of the work he did. Not because of the deeds we do. And that is a clear distinction here. We don't get the white garment because of the deeds we do, because of the, but because of the Christ we walk with. And when we receive those white garments... I love this. He says, and I will never erase his name from the book of life. Here's what you need to, again, understand, because we're Reformed. We're Presbyterian. We believe in the perseverance of saints, once saved, always saved. What this is saying is not that there will be those that are written into the book of life, and then their name will be taken out of it. What he's saying is that once I write your name in the book of life because you have been justified in me, I will never take your name out of it. The problem is that in Jewish times, to the Jewish believers, they knew that their name could be written out of the book that was in synagogue. Their name could be blotted out for any number of reasons. There was a fear that once their name was written in that book, that it could be taken out. Jesus is saying, once I write your name in that book, it will never be blotted out. This is the security that he offers. In the firmness of his grip, we cannot ever be released. He's just that good. He's just that caring about us and about his church that he will never erase our name from the book of life once we have become alive. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. That sounds really familiar, I think, to many of us. Jesus says in Matthew uh, chapter 10, 
verse 34, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. It goes back to belief. Are you walking with Jesus or not? One that walks with Jesus will confess him freely and openly, want to speak about his name on their lips all the time because he's so good and he's brought them from death into life. You can't help but talk about the one that made you alive, right? Like you want to talk about the one that brought life to you when you were previously dead. And so this is just a consequence of becoming alive. It's not a requirement for becoming alive. Let me say that again. Confessing Jesus is not a requirement for becoming alive. It is simply the consequence of becoming alive. When you become alive, you want to tell others about how you have life in him. And that's what he's saying is the deeds that he wants to see arise up in the church in Sardis. That's what he's saying that he wants to see is the deeds that arise up in First Pres in Griffin, Georgia. Is that we aren't just known for being alive because of our past, but we're really dead on the inside. No, we're actually alive, alive because we are testifying the name of Jesus as a consequence of actually receiving life ourselves. Our church is alive. Let us show the world, or at least Griffin, that we have life still in us. And his name is Jesus, and we are his body. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, I'm moved. <laughs> I want that life, Lord, that, that just fills me up so much. I just got to confess you. I got to say your name to everybody, God, because, because you gave me life when I was once dead and I wasn't deserving of it and I, was, I had these dirty, defiled garments. But Jesus, you came and you gave me life. And you put white garments upon me. And you wrote my name in the book of life and you said, I will never blot it out. Lord, let us be a church that confesses you because we are alive. Because we are watchful. And because we are strengthening the things that matter. The gospel truth within us. So lead us, Lord, continually into the path of your great and holy name that people will see we are a church sitting on a hill in which the light shines forth and people see you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.